Thank you for that prayer and thank you for those words in song. What a great prayer that would be, Lord, right? Lead me to the cross because indeed that's where it's all began. And so I hope your eyes are focused right there and that will be a good starting place for the message this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 15. Last week we began our series entitled VC United. Someone suggested after the service last week that we should get all soccer jerseys, all right, that say VC United on them. Uh, That uh, might be a little fun, but I'm not sure we could uh, pull that off. Uh, Anyway, we're starting this year looking at the importance of being united in a world that is increasingly divided. We looked last week at how as believers we are to strive for unity, and I truly believe that if Christians seek to love each other better, it will have a tremendous impact in our community and in our world. Now, with that said, we're going to, in a way, kind of take a step back, I would say, from last week, because what we're going to go to say and look at this morning, in some ways, is foundational to what we looked at last week. If we grasp the truth of our message this morning, it will help us as we strive for unity. I really want to begin, in fact, by having you consider this question. What do you ultimately want to achieve in life? All right, think about that. What do you ultimately want to achieve in life? Now, understand that's a very big, broad question, but I ask it that way intentionally because I want to know what would be your immediate thought. Now, I'm sure if we took a quick poll and we were to put those uh, answers on the screen, they'd be very. Someone here this morning might say, well, I want to run a successful business or I want to have a large family. Others may say, well, I want to be known as a great teacher or someone might say, I want to be known as a generous giver. Some might be a little less specific and simply say some things like this. Well, I want to be rich or possibly I want to be a place in life where I can travel a lot. Now, since we're in church this morning, some of you might say, well, I want to be known as a dedicated Christian or I want to head up a nonprofit ministry to the needy. Then there are those who want to be famous singers or possibly professional athletes. Any of those in the room this morning? You don't have to raise your hand. Or how about this one? You might even want to be a YouTuber or a professional gamer. I see all the old people saying, what's the YouTuber and a professional gamer, right? But the young people in the room know exactly what I'm talking about because it would make some of those lists this morning with the younger crowd, no doubt. Now, no matter how you answer that question, I believe it's fair to say that what you are ultimately seeking is to have a life full of joy. Is that not true? I mean, your answer to the question I just posed earlier was simply you stating what you believe will bring you joy in life. Now, you may not think about it that way or even state it that way, but when you boil it all down, that's what you're really saying. It's why when you're doing something else and look, looking, or you're doing something in life and you're looking to do something different in life, you say things like this, well, I, I'm just not happy or I'm not satisfied with what I'm doing. I mean, those statements either proceed or accompany or pursue to find something that will bring you joy. As you look at our scripture together today, God has a great truth for us to understand it and apply it on life. And if we do, here's what we're gonna find. You will find joy and you will discover that joy is only found in being united with Jesus. Yeah, there should have been a lot more amens than that one, all right? If you have your Bibles, I said earlier, turn to hopefully John 15 there and we're gonna look at the first 11 verses. This passage is a part of what we might call the I am statements of Jesus. 
For in the Gospel of John, we read where Jesus says things like, I am the bread of life, or I am the light of the world. He even says, I am the good shepherd, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. And all of those things are true about Jesus. But for now, look at what we read in verse 1 of John 15, 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, Jesus here is speaking to his disciples, his closest followers, and when he says, I am the vine, the disciples, as they heard Jesus speak these words, would have clearly had an image come to their mind as they were very familiar with the various vineyards that dotted the landscape, producing the grapes that were vital to their lives. They would also have been familiar with the imagery of a vineyard as throughout the history of Israel, God had referred to the Jewish people as his vineyard and he as the vine dresser. Unfortunately, let me say this, often when Jesus used that terminology with Israel, it was a time when Israel was being disciplined by a loving God who was having to be pruned by a loving God. Now here's what would have been different for these disciples. Is Jesus saying... I am the vine. The disciples from their background might have wanted to see Israel as the vine, but Jesus says that the vine is his identification. And what we should be reminded of by those words of Jesus is this, is that there is only one true source of life, and that is none other than Jesus Christ. In fact, think about the importance of the vine. If there is no vine, there is no branches. If there is no branches, then there is no fruit. The vine is crucial. The vine is a source of life, detached, a branch. Branch, detach the, the vine or branch from the vine and that what's going to happen to that branch you know right it's going to it's going to die as we read these words of Jesus we should be reminded that Jesus is the only true source of life now there are going to be people when I say that they're going to refute that there are going to be people who say, well, you know what? I don't believe in Jesus all right they say I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus but I still have life do they really You see, I think most will agree with me today when I say just because you have vital signs does not mean you have life. You may be living in the technical sense of the word, but you may not have life. You may have a heartbeat. You may have brain activity. You may have respirations in your lung, but that doesn't mean you are really alive. I know many people who appear to be alive, but they have no life in them. As I have stated before, they are true living dead right? Now, some who are dead may be in this room right now or watching online. You may not even be aware that you don't have life. To help understand what I'm saying, think about how much energy people put out toward the things that that supposedly going to give them life, even in the end, to end up feeling empty on the inside. We can go back to some of the responses to my question earlier and know that some people, all right, what they have done is they pursued jobs with the intent of being well-known and successful business owners only to achieve it and find out that they're still miserable. There are those who have pursued their dream of becoming rich and achieved great wealth only to realize that money made them miserable. I see even many who become famous professional athletes only to have misery follow them and fill their life. So many of them end up in bankruptcy with shattered images. Even many people in Christian professions or ministries can appear to be very successful and end up miserable for Christian activity does not make one alive. 
right? Maybe it can actually suck the life out of you if you're not careful. And I may speak from a little experience on that last one. You see, people may seem to have life, but miss out on the true source of life, Jesus. And let's never forget what Jesus said in John 10, 10. He said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly, right? See, there may be some of you listening today and you know that you are not experiencing life. I want you to know that Jesus is the source of life. And here's what Jesus did for you. When you were dead because of your sins, Jesus died for you. He died in order that you might have life in your spirit and begin to live as you experience the forgiveness that God has offered you. You can experience this life by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for you. And when you do, you begin experiencing true life and you receive the Holy Spirit of God who wants to guide you to life. There are some of you this morning that your step into life will be placing your faith in Jesus Christ and experiencing a rebirth, experiencing for the first time life in your soul. Now, as we recognize the truth from the text, that Jesus is the only true source of life, let's realize that that truth is not the main focus of this text. In fact, let's look at the next verse, what it says. It says in verse two, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Jesus is speaking here in these verses about those who've experienced life in him living a fruitful life. For here's what we need to know as well, that God is working in our lives so that we will be fruitful. See, just because you find faith in Jesus does not mean your life will be fruitful. Are you aware of that? Just because you found Jesus as your Savior doesn't mean your life will be fruitful. Jesus speaks here about God the Father being the vine dresser who will prune fruit so that it will bear more fruit. Now, if we think about the idea of pruning, it means that even the difficult moments in our lives are used by God to help us be all he wants us to be. I would say that over the last year and a half that God has surely done a lot of pruning in my life. He's worked to help me to be more fruitful for him and for his kingdom. But because God loves us, he works in our life. He wants to remove things that keep us from being fruitful so that our lives will be better and bear more fruit. In fact, let me say this briefly. Some have used this passage because it says, God will take away every branch that does not bear fruit to justify the doctrine that one can lose your salvation. Now, the first problem with that idea is that the focus of this text is fruitfulness and not salvation. In the verse we just read, it was talking about branches that are in Jesus. When he says that those who are not fruitful, he takes away. We also need to know that the Greek word used there is the Greek word arrow. If I was to spell that in English, it would be A-I-R-O, arrow. And it can also be translated Lift it up, okay, lift it up. Those in Jesus' day would have been familiar with the vine dresser who had walked down the rows of those vineyards and if they saw a branch that was drooped over laying in, in the, the pathway there, they would lift up those vines and they would tie it to a trellis so that that branch would become fruitful again. It's a process called training. Yes, in this text later, it's going to talk about branches that are burned when they wither. But to stretch this analogy to speak of losing salvation is to overanalyze the analogy. Again, the, the text is talking about fruitfulness and how Christians experience all that God desires for their life. 
However, even as I say that the text is about fruitfulness, we must recognize that fruitfulness is not even really the ultimate focus. I'm taking you down the road here. You follow me? All right. That, that might confuse you, but let me explain. If I were to ask you another question and say, what does the fruitful Christian life look like? How would you respond to that? Now, most likely, here's what's going to happen, right? You're going to give me a list of activities or outcomes that describe what makes a Christian successful to you. For example, you might say, a fruitful Christian is one where a person attends church every Sunday. The person is involved in some kind of ministry. They have a daily devotional time. This person leads others to faith in Jesus Christ. Also, this person leads a moral life that is praised by others, your list might look a little different from some, but maybe even some more specific items might be on your list. But here's my guess. All those things that I mentioned would most likely be on your list and say, if you're a fruitful Christian, that's what it looks like. Well, what if you ask that question specifically even about a Christian in ministry position? And so that I don't pick on somebody else, let me just pick on me and say, what would it look like for me as a pastor to lead a fruitful life? Now, most of you might say, well, you need to preach sermons that are powerful. People need to be responding at the invitation when it's given. The church needs to be growing, and there needs to be, on average, a good number of baptisms each year. Some might add other things like, well, you need to be able to effectively lead committees and have a five- to ten-year vision for the church planned and laid out. Again, your list might be different, but some of those would surely make your list. Well, let me go ahead and shock you this morning and say this. If those are on your list that you are using, you are using the wrong list because God has a different list. God has a different list. God doesn't want a list of what you have done or you haven't done. God doesn't want a list of your accomplishments. Let me tell you what God is most concerned about. Are you abiding in Jesus? See, the most important question is that because only a life that abides in Jesus can bear fruit. All right, look at these next verses in John 15. Look at verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So let me pause and say that verse alone tells us these verses here are reminding us that Jesus is speaking to and about those he considers followers, those who are already clean, all right? Let me say that, all right? This text is not about salvation. It's about our fruitfulness, all right? So let's look at what comes next. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, for clarity, I would add you can do nothing of eternal significance. It is clear from his words that Jesus' emphasis is on abiding. Christian people by nature have this tendency to believe that their responsibility is to produce fruit. Because of that, many people strive hard to produce what they consider the fruit of a Christian life only to fail. Then you know what they do? They pick themselves up and, and, and try again and say, things are going to be different this time only to do what? Fail. To say, well, I'm going to pick myself up. I'm going to try again. I'm going to do better only to 
fail again, right? I mean, that, we're in that cycle because we think, all right, this is what I got to do. It's my responsibility. I have to produce fruit. So I'm going to try. I'm going to make my effort. So I'm going to do it, right? So when I fail, what do I have to do? I have to pick myself up. I got to try again. I got to do better. And, and, and that's the wrong approach because here's the problem with the approach. Jesus did not tell us to strive to bear fruit. He told us to abide and we would bear fruit. Got that? We will bear fruit in the scenario of abiding because it is actually Jesus bearing fruit through us. He is the vine. We are simply the branches. You know, when I read these words of Jesus, I think about the story of Mary and Martha that's found in Luke 10. Some of you will remember that story. Y'all remember it? I mean, Jesus shows up in the village one day of Mary and Martha. And so what does Martha do? Martha invites Jesus. Hey, I want you to come over and eat. And so she's ready to prepare for his, him and his disciples. And so Jesus comes into her home and she gets busy, right? Running around, making everything because Jesus has got to have a good meal, right? Well, her sister Mary, he, she doesn't help. She sits down at the feet of Jesus and begins to listen to him teach. And Martha, the older sister, complains about the younger sister. I know that never really happens in true life, right? I know it never happens, but this is what happens in this scenario. And Martha goes to Jesus and said, Jesus, don't you see that she's not helping me? Expecting Jesus to look at Mary and say, Mary, get up and help Martha, right? That's what she expects to happen. But look at what Jesus said in Luke 10. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. You see, Jesus didn't praise Martha for her busyness. He praised Mary for her abiding and being with him. If today your definition of being a fruitful Christian is a list of activities or things that you do, then you're off base because fruitfulness for the Christian is abiding in Jesus and letting him work through you. Yes, I'll go ahead and say this. Fruitfulness will no doubt end up including things you do. But if you are a busy Christian, y'all got to hear this one, right? I don't think I put this in your notes. You might want to write this down, right? If you end up, all right, if you, all right, just have this list of being a busy Christian without abiding first in Jesus, you will end up like Martha, a busy, miserable, critical person. And that is not God's desire for you. That was probably good. Y'all go write that down, okay? I don't want any of y'all to end up miserable. But so many Christians, you ever notice how many, so many Christians, they're not happy. The problem is they're busy without abiding in Jesus. As we consider what this abiding looks like, look at what Jesus said in verse seven. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You see, abiding in Jesus means letting his word abide in you. What is so valuable about the Bible? Can you tell me? What is so valuable? Some of you probably are tired of me asking questions this morning, right? Well, I'm going to ask. I want you to think. Is your immediate response this? It tells me God's will for my life or it tells me how to live? Don't be honest, but that's many of your responses, right? You probably thought immediately, well, it tells me how to live my life, right? It tells me what I need to do. But the value of the Bible is not in that. The value in the Bible is it reveals God to us. 
The Bible is a means through which we know God and know his heart. The Bible is a means through which we know God's promises and we know God's passions. And the more you know his word and let it abide in you and the more you know God so that he can abide, so that you can, in fact, abide in him. In fact, let's just consider a few Old Testament passages which would have been the Bible that the disciples were familiar with. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. You see, even in the Old Testament, God was trying to say, the most important thing is to know me. Be still and know what I am doing. Your strength, your confidence, your peace should be in me, God says right? That's what he wants us to know. Be still in me. Like Moses told the people of Israel in Exodus 14, he said, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be what? Silent. Moses was telling the people, you can be confident, not because of you or what you do, but because of who God is and what he is doing. Moses was in a way saying, abide in God and he will deliver. Knowing God brings peace and confidence. You can also look at Psalm 57 too, which says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills, look at this, his purpose for me. This text helps you and me understand that God is at work in your life and my life to fulfill his purpose. It tells us that our lives are not without purpose. Our lives have meaning. That meaning is found though in God's purpose for our lives. So knowing God means I can know his purpose for me. Then we read in Isaiah 26, three and four, which says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust the Lord forever for the Lord is an everlasting rock. You see, I can read and know that God is an everlasting rock. Do you need strength today? God is the one to turn to. Not only is he the rock that can give you strength, he, it says he can keep you in perfect peace if your mind stays on him. Then one more from Psalm 37, four. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. These verses are just a sampling of the verses that the disciples of Jesus would have been familiar with and would have been called to let abide in him. There are so many other great texts that inform us about God, who he is, and what he wants to do in, through, and for us. When a person lets the word of God abide in them, the word points that person back to God so that you abide in him and his promises. In fact, let's go back to John 15 and look at verse 7 again and see what the result is. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What a great promise, right? You'll kind of go a little silent there. Now, before we get too carried away, though, and misunderstand this promise, let me share with you that the more you know God, the more the things you wish for change. Please don't take this verse to where some health and wealth preachers take it, thinking that if you abide in the Lord, he's going to be your genie in the bottle. So all you have to do is, all right, he's my, rub it, Jesus, do what I say, Right? That, that is not what this verse means, all right? Truly, the more you know God, what you want and ask for will be different. I'm gonna give you a little simple illustration. Now, I know this illustration falls far short of the point, but hopefully you'll still understand what I mean. All right, because I know my wife, I've been married to her almost 35 years, here's something I know I am never gonna ask from my wife. I'm never gonna look at Kim and say, Kim, 
Will you eat the last few bites of macaroni and cheese so we don't have to put them in the refrigerator or throw them away? She hates cheese. I'm never going to ask her to do that. Right? So why would I go? Would you, would you do this for me? Never going to ask. Or, or let me give you another one, all right? I know Jacob and Courtney can go to Kim and say, will you keep Juliet? And you know what the answer is going to be? Yes, because Mimi loves to keep Juliet and will keep her at any time, any day, any circumstance, right? So they can ask that question with confidence. They will know the answer because they know her. You understand? I know that analogy falls far short, but I want you to understand. The more that you abide in Jesus, you know what to ask him for, and so when you ask, you do receive because you're asking in accordance to his will. I believe ultimately you will ask for the things that make you fruitful because the next verse says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. Now, there's another aspect though of abiding in Jesus I need to mention quickly. Because abiding in Jesus means abiding in his love. Jesus goes on to say this in verse nine. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. You know, I'm so thankful for these words of Jesus because they remind us that we do not have to work to earn God's love. Isn't that good news? We need to simply abide in God's love. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love. You simply need to accept God's love and live in that love. Many of you know these verses, but I hope you rest in them because this is the gospel in a nutshell. The good news of God's love that says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, God sent Jesus because he already loved you and he wants you to experience true eternal life. And in case you think you still have to earn his love, let's remember this in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. That's good. So you don't have to try and earn God's love. He already loves you. Many Christians need to hear that because you're stuck in a performance trap thinking that you have to earn God's love rather than abiding in it. These words I came across this week by Jerry Bridges found in his book, Transforming Grace, may be helpful. So I want you to listen to these words. If you're a visual person, I've got them on the screen to help you hear what I'm saying. It says, my observation of modern Christianity is that most of us tend to base our relationship with God on our performance instead of on his grace. If we performed well, whatever well is in our opinion, then we expect God to bless us. If we haven't done so well, then our expectations are reduced accordingly. In this sense, we live by works rather than by grace. We are saved by grace. We acknowledge that but we are living by the sweat of our own performance. We give lip service to the grace of God, but our unspoken motto is, God helps those who help themselves. The realization that my daily relationship with God is based on the infinite merit of Christ instead of my own experience is a very freeing and joyous experience. I believe those words sum up what we need to hear. What Jesus wants us to do is abide in the love of God. If you are working to earn God's love, we will never, you'll never be satisfied because honestly, there's not a one of us that can do enough for a holy God. 
There's not a one of us that can be good enough on our own for a holy God, all right? Again, we don't have to earn that. We have been offered that through Jesus Christ, and what you have to do is accept that by faith and then abide in that love. You see, with that said, the result of abiding in God's love is keeping his commandments. Look at the next verse, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, some of you might hear me say that and say, well, isn't that the opposite of what you just said? Isn't that the opposite? You said I don't have to work. I mean, isn't this the opposite? No, 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 no. There is a huge difference in trying to keep God's command in an attempt to earn God's love and keeping God's commands because you are abiding in his love. Right? right, Here's what I know. If I do the dishes at my house in an attempt to earn my wife's love, I will be miserable because I hate doing dishes. Some of you heard me say that before, right? It's still true. Hasn't changed. But here's what I know. If I do dishes because I love my wife and I'm wanting to please her in that moment, I find joy in doing the dishes. Same way with vacuuming, all right? I can vacuum when my wife asks me to if I'm doing it because of the fact I love my wife and doing what my wife needs me to do and in love for her is a lot different than if I'm just doing it because I have to do it. That's how God wants to be with us. Hear me. We shouldn't keep his commandments in an attempt to pacify him or earn his love. We should keep his commandments as a part of abiding in a loving relationship with a heavenly father. And if you do that, it will make a tremendous difference in your life and your relationship with God. Having heard Jesus call to abide, let's consider the results. All right, what, 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 if I abide in God's love, if, if I abide in Christ, what you're telling me, brother, what will that end up with? Well, listen, we do not have to guess because Jesus told us why he was sharing these words with us. Look, as we wrap up this morning in verse 11, it says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be where? In you and that your joy may be full. Look at this. The very thing I identified in the beginning of this message as the thing that we all are desiring, joy, right? However you're trying to get there, that's what we all desire. Jesus says is possible by abiding in him. Not striving for things, not being busy with activities, not working for approval, but abiding in him. To me, that is a relief and a welcomed word. How about for you? As we close today, I want you to take a moment to consider where are you at in having joy in life? Is your joy full? If not, I ask you to consider if you are truly abiding in Jesus. Please don't assume because you've been active in church for some time that you are abiding in Jesus. Church activity does not mean you're abiding in Jesus. I hope that came across clear. You can be completely active and busy at church and be miserable because you are not abiding or resting in the Lord. Some need to come this morning because you have have never been attached to the vine. 
You need to come and you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ because here's what's happened. Sin has separated you from a holy God and you know that, but you can have your relationship restored through Jesus who died on the cross for you. Because he came and he died for your sins. He died for all of your mistakes. He even died for your striving to please him, right? If you come today, confess your sin to a holy God and invite Jesus to come in and to forgive you of your sin and ask Jesus to take complete control, I'm gonna tell you today, he is ready to forgive you and to give you eternal life and to begin you down that path of full joy as you abide in him. And so this morning we come to this invitation. If you've never been connected to the vine from the very beginning, if you've never been connected to God, come today because we'd love to share with you how Jesus can be your savior if you'll place your faith in him. But now others this morning, maybe you are a branch, okay? Maybe I should have you hold out your arm like you're a branch this morning. I am a branch. We're not gonna do that, or I'm not gonna do that. Maybe you should, but you say, I'm a, I'm a branch, but maybe you say, I'm not really producing much fruit. Maybe you need to come this morning because you need a fresh touch from the vine dresser. You need God either to prune you. Maybe there's some things that need to come out of your life that are keeping you from being fruitful. Maybe you need to be pruned this morning or, or maybe to be lifted up because you're just laying on the ground lifeless and you need to come to that vine dresser and say, will you, will you lift me up today? Please know this, God wants to help. He is not done with you because you've been unfruitful. He wants to help you. In fact, as we've said this morning, what he really wants you to do is come and abide in him. Be reminded from his word how much he loves you. Be reminded from his word that he is your strength. Be reminded today that he has a great purpose for your life. Maybe you need to simply come this morning and begin by kneeling at this altar in a few moments and pray simply resting and expressing your love to God and say, God, I'm so thankful for your love. Help me, Lord, to rest in that because I've been striving too hard and I'm wore out, God, today. And maybe you just need to come and spend a few moments and say, God, would you refresh me in your love? I've been striving. And today, God, I want to start abiding. Come to this altar, laying aside all the stuff that's been hindering you, committing today to simply abide in him and his love. I truly believe today if believers would recommit to abiding in God's love, then we can see a fresh revival fall on God's people and we can see joy again. Oh, to see joy again, the joy of being reunited with Jesus. So we're gonna have an invitation. What do you need to do this morning? Here in just a moment, I'm gonna pray for us as we close the message and move to the invitation. Brother Jacob's gonna be over here and I'm gonna stand over here. If you want somebody to pray with you, you come to us. We wanna pray with you. We wanna talk with you. If you say, I'm interested in having this life, but I, I don't know how to gain it, we would love to share with you what Jesus has done for you. You come grab our hand, we'll do that. Or if you just need somebody to pray with you, say, I am tired and weary and I need rest, we will love to pray with you. Or if you just want to come alone, you and God, come just kneel at this altar and talk to him. Again, maybe you came here this morning weary. Maybe you came here wore out and you just need to come and rest in a relationship with your loving God. Jesus said, abide in me. Just abide. Don't strive. Just abide. Won't you come this morning and begin abiding in him and see if your joy might be renewed. So then he can work through you and you'll be fruitful for him.
Would you pray with me this morning, Father? As we come to you, Lord, and and look into your word, I know, Father, it's a word that we need to hear. And I know it, Father, because I see so many people, even those who claim a relationship with you, who do not have joy. And I know, Father, that's not your desire. As you told us, you came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And Father, you just told us that you want our joy to be full. You want it to be complete. And so, Father, as we come to this invitation this morning, if there's one that's not experiencing your joy, I pray they would begin the path right now to joy. Joy in you. Whether it's them coming for the first time and giving their life to Jesus or whether it's to come kneel at this altar and lay down their striving and begin abiding. I pray we'll find people today who's walked here this morning without joy will leave here with a life full of joy because of you. So Father, pour your spirit down upon this invitation because we need you to move. I know my words apart from you, Lord, are nothing. I know my words apart from you are empty. But Father, with your spirit, you can take them and Father, you can work powerfully with them. And that's what I ask you to do. So, Father, move in this invitation, I pray. And as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.